you are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by Single Ops, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode, another season of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. My name is Jay Worth, and I'm very, very excited to have with me today, Angelique Robb from Synced. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's it's absolutely my pleasure. Angelique, we like to start every episode with some immediate value for our listeners. So if you could just share with the audience, what are kind of three common threads, uh, three things that you see green industry companies who are really successful doing well? Well, I think it it starts with the leaders in the company and um, that they're open to hearing from their employees or people around them. They they listen to others' um, best practices and they're always striving to improve. I think, you know, our industry is like most industries and there's always new products and services and ways of doing things, technology. So I think um, leaders being open to those changes but also that the workforce are happy to initiate those conversations. Mm. So they bring into the company, the workers feel like they're a part of the company. They suggest ways to change, to do things better, and they feel like they're part of the success of the company. And lastly, you know, we can't forget about our clients or the end users of the landscapes that we're developing and that the solutions are right-sized. And so, Really, if if we're not delivering what the client really wants, we're not listening to them either. So, I mean, it, it really, in all three of those points, you know, I feel like communication is a really big part of success. Agreed. And, you know, that thre- 360 communication. Agree. 360 degree. Yeah. Absolutely. Angelique, those are all stellar. And I can't wait to dive into those a little bit further. If you would, just give our listeners, our audience, a little bit of background on your history in the industry. Obviously, you run Synced right now, which is an industry publication, but you've actually run a company in the green industry. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into it and, and what your journey has been like? Yes, I can. It starts a long time ago. <laughs> Not that long ago. So, <laughs> Well, so my first career was in the oil industry. and. As a stress relief from my day job, I would come home and think about how I wanted to change the landscape in my own garden, or or I know that's more of a British word, but um, so I ended up building, you know, I watched TV programs, got books, did CAD drawings of my own back garden, and, and then built that myself when I was in Houston, and being really uh, nitpicky. I didn't like what I did and strive <laughs> to do better, but it was more as a personal goal and enjoying what I built and then also enjoying watching the plants grow and taking care of them. And then I ended up getting moved to Scotland in the oil industry and was, I guess I've always lived in the South and, you know, we have a lot of different plants in the South than they do in the colder temperatures in Scotland. And I was really um, 
excited to grow tulips and <laughs> all kind of bulbs that had never been yeah. able to grow before. And I also found that I was really opinionated <laughs> and didn't like many landscapes that I saw and would walk around, walk with my dog going, oh, nope, they should have done this. They should have done that. They, you know, and so as I was working my way through the oil industry, I felt like I was kind of doing the same thing over and over again and wanted to be more creative. And so I decided to do landscape design as coursework and see if I still, you know, had the passion for doing that. Really, I found that being in the oil industry and landscape design were so similar. And I know that sounds a bit crazy, mm. but when you're drilling a well, you're visualizing what's happening downhole and you're trying to picture things that you can't see. And so again, landscape design was kind of the same thing in that I could picture what would be better than the landscape, how it existed. And, right. and, and so I could walk into a client's space and they could say, you know, what are your ideas? And I could kind of, you know, 3D, you know, see, well, you know, this is where the sun goes. This is where the wind's coming at you in Scotland. The wind is mm. always, um, you're always trying to block <laughs> yourself from the wind and optimize the sun. And so I could walk them through that and I could sell the, the concept just through talking to them. And so again, it, I love it. It, it worked really well to inspire them about a new vision for their landscape. And also, um, then we would go and do the, the detailed design and then construct. And one of the things that I found that I didn't like is how, depending on how you design stuff or built it, the maintenance would be a bit of a mm. tougher to, to make it look nice for a long time, depending on how they were maintaining it. And again, so that became a big driver for me. If the patio is going to go green, why are, you know, with, because it's in the shade. Well, and you don't want to sit in the shade anyway in Scotland. Okay. So a lot of this, I'm, I'm <laughs> going back to my Scotland uh, time, but, but again, depending on how they're going to use their landscape and what the conditions are and what the levels are, how much run you have on your patio, et cetera, et cetera. It can lead to a lot of maintenance issues that you can spend, you know, $100,000 on a landscape project and it not look great, you know, after the first year. And I'm again, sorry. that kind of breaks my heart, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think it's really important that we always come back to that. Like, how is this going to be maintained? What are the conditions that this outdoor environment will see and how can we design it to be great for many years to come and need less maintenance than, you know, you don't want to be pressure washing it every weekend or, or whatever. Um, right. so, and you can do that through a lot of the design and construction drawings or, or the plans you can, you could design out some of those maintenance issues. So I thought it was really interesting. So when, when I had my company in Scotland, so again, you know, Looking at it from that point of view, not everybody does maintenance when you are a landscape architect or designer or you're a landscape contractor and you're just constructing. 
And I can see why, because it's a whole different business to maintain landscapes for years and years versus design versus construct. However, I think it, it just shows how important it is to consider maintenance when you're designing and constructing and, and it it's affected by the materials or even in between the hardscaping and softscaping, how, you know, just the interface between those two sectors or, or materials or, or design phases, whatever you say, how it can impact what the landscape looks like for years to come. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of effort into design and build, mm-hmm. you know, we want it to be easy to maintain or at least look great however you're maintaining it for years to come. So sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. Feel free to <laughs> No, no. So no, but that's I can tell you that's what you're passionate about. And that's for those that are listening, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the concept behind the name synced, right? Is that that marriage between what we're doing on the design and install phase and making sure that it's maintained long term, those two are synced together. Yes. So design, build, and, and maintain all, and, and you can do one part of that, but it's, you know, it's being aware and asking the right questions for your role to understand what's going to happen before or after or 10 years later. And so I guess I learned that through my experience. And it was the first time I had a company of my own with employees and, and things like mm. that. So I did learn things the hard way. And I guess that's my other driver for the publication and event is because I would probably say I almost lost the company a few times through, you know, oh, the wow. 15 years because I wasn't charging enough from the start. I maybe didn't mm. have the people around me to, I wanted to do things differently, but didn't know the best way to build it or the best, you know, so we would experiment and it wouldn't always work. And then, you know, it's (laughs) on me to pay for that and, um, you know, to run the business ethically. And um, yeah, so I I didn't take, and I guess this is a question that you have later, but I didn't take the time when I was starting the business to reach out to people, to form a network of people that I could call on. And, you know, it wasn't till you know, seven or eight years in the business and realizing how much value there would be to reaching out to people and how many people are really excited to give back to yes. people just starting out. You know, it's it one is of the things I love most about the industry. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess I feel like, you know, the, the publication and the event, you know, it's an opportunity for people to feed back into the industry and also for the younger generation to gain and mm-hmm. and have those mentors even if it's very informal that you read about them in the publication and you go oh wow this person is doing some unusual things you know maybe i should reach out and see and people that contribute Absolutely. projects and interviews and it, it's because they do want to feedback into the industry and i think that um i didn't make that time and it would have been great to know that those those were those people were out there and um all it took was picking up the phone and and making make, carving that time out i think once you have employees you know of course you don't have employees to start with and then you start getting employees and you feel that time pressure and you know i have to get more jobs i have to get more jobs and you can't 
you know, you have to fill the hopper and you don't have time to sit back and maybe work on the business as much. But I think that is something that I regretted later in the day that I should have moved a little bit slower, put less pressure on myself and reached out to people and and learn from others. Yeah, no, I think that that's all very relatable to, I think any business owner that would come on here and say, yeah, I, I didn't, I had it all figured out. I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> I was, you know, a plus number one from the word go is lying. <laughs> you know, they, it's, it's always a struggle. So one of the things you mentioned, uh, let's just dive into these three points. The first thing you said was leaders are kind of open to other ideas, other ways of working. They're always kind of striving for improvement. What does that look like to you when you when you say that you know leaders are open to other ideas? What does what are you talking about? What does that mean? Well, I do think we have an an industry that it's you know, it, and I, it, a lot of industries are like this. Like I would say, there's a lot of similarities between the oil industry and the landscape industry. I would and never have guessed that. That's so funny. I know, <laughs> and and maybe it's just people in general, but something works for you and you just, you know, okay, that's how we do this. This is the way to do it. We're never going to change. And I mm. do think that that can really, you know, be the end of the company or start to be the end. If you're not open to change, you know, leadership styles have changed greatly over the last 20 years and all for good reason you know it's not about these are the orders and this is what you do it's about you know a great environment and leaders you know listening to people around them and looking to make it a a better experience for everybody you know it should feel like a family I mean we spend a lot of hours each week more with our, our workmates than our family sometimes well often and it should feel like that. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, I don't know everything. I might, you know, be the owner of the company, but that doesn't mean I know everything around me. Not one person, I think, can know every aspect of what it feels like to be in that company. So, yeah, I yeah. think it's just really important to and adapt with the times and new generations coming in are doing things very differently, you know, at, Technology is playing a much bigger part Mm -hmm. and um, it's exciting because, you know, it means that there's so much opportunity for our industry to grow and change and evolve if we, if we listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So if I'm off base here, please tell me and and we'll edit this out of the podcast. But (laughs) one of the things that I hear you saying is as an owner as maybe the CEO, maybe the owners got you running the company day to day, whatever, whichever the case may be, there's got to be a certain level of humility there, right? That like, yeah, I don't have the life experience that this person has. I'm working at the business at a, at a 30,000 foot level and not at the ground level, like other people every single day. And so maybe they've got an insight that I don't have because of their perspective. Yes. Yes. No, it's true. And, and also we inherently have, different skill sets. Each person, you know, I know that I'm more of an instigator and a big picture person. And there I therefore need 
those detailed people around me mm. to compliment me, you know, and compliment the whole company. So I think it's, it's recognizing that everybody has different strong points and if possible, you could use them where they bring the most to the table or where they're most comfortable and you can really get the most out of people in that way too. No, I love that. I love that. One of the things you mentioned, they're open to new ideas and you talked before the show about like new services are being developed, new products are being developed. What is that? Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? That's part of the leader being open to other ideas and not being stuck in that. Well, we've always offered this or we've always done it this way. Yes. And I can, you know, just thinking of an example, when I first started my company in, in Scotland, I really didn't like how, you know, it was a very wet climate and we have freeze thaw cycles and everything. And the, the change from the Houston. Yeah. <laughs> and the grouting between the paving would crack and then water would get in there and bust the you know the mortar and and then you know as soon as the paving starts busting loose then you have to relay the whole patio you know it really annoyed me and so then we're like okay we're gonna try this new you know brush in pointing and then we're gonna and then try that. And then the next year we're like, oh yeah, but it's so damp, it's going green. And, it, you know, so again, looking at it, trying out new things and then realizing, well, actually you have to kind of think of, of the mechanics of what's going on behind it. And if you have something permeable that doesn't have a permeable base, then you need the water to run all the way through. And so, you know, it's thinking of these three things and testing them out and going, okay, this annoys me in maintenance. How can we design it out? And different climates will have different successes, different products. But also, you know, that's more of a, a technical issue. But then it's also, you know, changing the process that you that you use. For instance, outsourcing yes. help. You know, I think it's really uncomfortable to outsource help. But on the other hand, you're then hiring experts that only do this day in, day out. And I think we should always be open to going, okay, this is how my company works. What are the time sucks, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And what do people hate doing? And they're not good at it in the company. And going, right, how can we make this work with bringing in some experts in different facets of the company? And I think, you know, but but it takes a lot of effort. And so I think that, you know, when I look at all the technology companies that are coming out or outsourcing companies, I think that there are a lot of opportunities, but they're not right for everybody. It, it depends right. on that business owner. And it depends on same thing that we were talking about, you know, finding out what your employees are really good at. And, you know, if you know more about each person and and you know where your strengths and your weaknesses are in the business, that will help you figure out what you need. And I think it's so exciting that there's new products. You know, I was just at Equip Expo and Hardscape North America. And, you know, there's there's new companies and new products every year you know so it's i think the hard part is still thinking about how does it work with your business 
But, you know, one of the things that we had Michael Mayberry come on our uh, Future Skate event yeah, he's because he's guy. a chief technology officer. And again, you know, you see how somebody that can, you know, look at a business and go, right, how, you know, it is a, a skill set to learn what technologies fit where or, or new products and services, but it's it's a change to how you do things and really being thorough on how, you know, maybe you test it at your office, you know, the new products and services or, right. or products, I should say, and figure them out before you're you're doing it on a client's landscape. But I, I just think that's it's a great insight. <laughs> just the, the, well, the 15 years that I've been in the industry, okay, granted, it's been mostly in the UK, mm-hmm. but I've seen so many new products and, and different ways of doing things. And I just, I think it, it makes it so exciting to see an industry change so much. And I think we're, we're just, you know, about, we're seeing the, the ramp up and it's only going to get better and better. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. And and what I hear you saying there, again, I don't want to put the words, whether you're, you know, being open to a a new process that maybe an employee came up with, or whether you're willing to try out a new product, a new way of installing or or whatever, like you've got to have the, I keep hearing, like, as you're talking, I just keep hearing that word humility is it's like, you've got to be brave enough to suck at the new thing. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And And if you are, there's, there's a ton of potential benefits waiting on the other side. Yeah. And it's about, yeah, working as a team. And again, I, I guess this is why I felt so passionate about launching the, the publication and event is, you know, being a community of people that just want the best in the industry. You know, yes. we want to figure it out. We want to share with everybody. We want to talk to everybody and be open, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes it the great industry that it is. You Absolutely. Know? So, Absolutely. Um, and not only that, but we can actually make an impact in the environment. And, yes. you know, I think that it's actually the icing on the cake for me that not only is it an amazing industry, but we can help, you know, climate change. We can help people mm-hmm. get outside and be more healthy. Like everything yes. is leading to a better way of life and better for people, better for the environment. So, um, yes. yeah. So the next thing that you talked about us working together, working collaboratively as a team, you talked about your workforce and they're bought into the company's vision, the company's goals, the company's way of executing work. What does a company that's doing this well, that really has a handle on engaging their existing employees, what, what are they doing differently than the ones that are really struggling to retain, you know, employees, do you think? I mean, like, I guess the first spot is how do you go about getting that buy-in? Like, what, what does a company need to do to foster that level of buy-in from their employees? Well, coming back to your summary, you know, the humility is being open to mm. have those frank conversations. And I think it's hard sometimes because sometimes as the leader, people don't want to say what they're thinking and they think you have all the answers. And I I think you can feel like you have to have all the answers. Yes. And, and I think that's a pressure that, that is a real pressure and, you know, and that employees that you have, 
maybe have never run a business before. So they don't, they don't want to think that they know better or they don't want to mm. put their neck out to, to tell you something that isn't working or they think isn't working. I think it's, it, it's hard, but I think, you know, just being open with people that you, you know, I've got a handle on the business, but I need your help, you know, almost <laughs> like don't give them yes. um, reason to doubt the, your leadership, but also that you're open to, you know, making this a better place to work or making it a great yes. place to work and figuring out what's best for anybody. It's funny. The very first interview we did for, you know, it was pro landscaper before we renamed it saint. But for that very first interview that we did was Lucas Condon um, with Lucas Lagoons. And it was really interesting that he had an employee that was laboring for him. And I remember him saying that it was just a job for this person. And he knew that he didn't like it, the laboring work. But, you know, it, it was what they needed at the time. And um, but then as he got to know the person, they said that they really wanted to be a photographer. And it's it's neat that the company was able to grow until they needed somebody to be a part time full time for photographer. And then That's they were amazing. able to move that labor job that that person that had been laboring into the job that fit what their long-term goals were and so you know i think it's taken that time to get to know people and and those casual conversations can actually turn into something that you can better plan the future of your company you know so yeah absolutely uh, and i think for me like i know in my career the times when I've been most bought in and most willing to work hard and put in the extra hours and, and do those things for my immediate boss, not even for the owner necessarily, but for my immediate boss was when they've been collaborative. When like, I feel like they ask a question and I give an answer, I give my input and that input is received. Now, like you don't have to like do it exactly the way I thought Act of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, but like, okay, if there's legitimately a problem and I've got a solution, it doesn't have to be exactly my solution, but like you were open to that and we're moving in the right direction. I know it was heard. That makes all the difference in the world for me. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it it seems to me like a lot of the, because, you know, we were at uh, Elevate together and I'm sure at Equip Expo, Hardscape North America, you had like a bunch of college students, right? Like a bunch of kids that are uh, competing in NCLC and all this stuff are at these shows. In talking to them, it seems like they want the same thing, right? So like your upcoming yes. workforce wants that level of, you. I, I was heard. Responsibility. As well, yeah, responsibility was, and and communication, like two way yes, communication. Yeah. Yes, two way communication. That's a great way. To, you're getting it better than I am. See, you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I just I think that's what they want. Now, if someone, and I have some opinions on this, but I'd like to hear your thought. What if someone's not the owner or not the senior leader? What if they're a supervisor or they're in a management position? How can that person begin to develop? that sense of buy-in from their team when maybe they don't have all of the authority to make things happen. Is there a way that, that they can do that? Do you think? I think so. I think so. It's, it's 
being appreciative of everyone around you and you can just be really open with what you're doing with that information. I'm bringing it to whoever's making the decision. They had a really good reason to not do it this way, but you know, you're still promoting and not pretending it's your suggestion. You know, you're, you're saying, right, right. This crew member brought this up. You're not taking credit for somebody else's opinion or, or suggestion. I love that. And I think it does come down to humility and, and maybe transparency is another thing. Um, yes. And there will be people that go, nope, I know this is the right way to do it. So, and I think that that can work as long as they know they're being heard. I think yes. you know, that's what Agreed. you just said. If you feel like you're bringing things forward and they're, listening and taking it into consideration and not doing it at least if there's there's pros and cons to doing everything different ways you know so somebody has to make that decision so yeah i think transparency would help that and say you know i love these ideas that i'm getting from my crew members this is what they're saying okay we can't do that right now but maybe in the future we can feed that back keep them on board, keep yes. them engaging with you and giving new ideas. Yeah, I think it, it can work. I think the bigger the company gets, it probably is a bit harder because they will be, you know, this is the way we do things. But I still think, you know, different regions, different states, you all have different climate issues and, and it can't be too standardized across the nation for that reason. So, yeah, I couldn't agree anymore with what you just said. Um, I just want to put this out there too, for if you're listening to this and maybe you are that crew leader, maybe you're a manager, you're not a senior leader. There is a great temptation there when you've advocated for a change. Maybe even it was a a change you thought of, maybe it was a change your team brought forward and it's not adopted. It's not accepted. You know, the owner or the CEO decides not to implement that change. There is a great temptation to go back to your team and say, oh, well, I just, you know, the boss isn't listening. Avoid that. Yeah. The plague. Okay. Your job. Very divisive. Exactly. Exactly. Your job is to keep your team engaged and productive. And when you throw your senior leaders under the bus, all you do, yeah, you you might keep a tight relationship with them, but all you're doing is you're making them less motivated to come and work there. So yeah. I think for me, it, you know, the, the one thing I would say, the piece of advice from my experience, my personal experience, because I've done it both ways. I've, <laughs> I've been the guy that threw the senior leader of the bus and it did work well. I've been the guy, <laughs> you know, you, you do think that you're young and dumb, right? But I've also <laughs> been the guy where it's like, hey, I'm fighting like crazy in closed door meetings to get the things that my team needs to do the work they've been asked to do. And at the end of the day, I walk out of that meeting and I don't have what I feel like I need. I still have to walk back in with a smile and say, well, hey, here we go, guys. You know, here we go, team. We're going to do the best of what we have. And you have to just absorb that. And you can vent it somewhere else. Like it's part of why um, I think I developed a habit of (laughs) of going to the gym is probably like... (laughs) part of it, right? Like I'm going to work that stress out because I can't go, I don't want to bring it home to my wife. That's not fair to her. And sure, I vent to her too, but 
you can't you got to avoid doing that with your team it's like a poison and then they're going to be way less productive and way less motivated to work that's my personal take i don't know if you've had that experience oh yeah definitely and it can pull the rest of the team apart like you said the poison apple absolutely well and then you got divisions like fighting against each other hiring more people and you know it can really the culture of of your business is really key to success watch um, those watch those employee referrals for for new hires watch them yes. dry up real fast if you start going down that rabbit trail like no one's going to yeah. start referring you're going to lose out on a great source of of potential new recruits because no one's going to be willing to refer their friends if you as the as the mid-level leader in your organization you are negative and you're and you're bashing those yeah. above you constantly so well, and it's it's that old adage that, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you know? If you can think about how this looks from everybody's perspective, yeah. then you can see how divisive it can feel or how negative it can feel when you're looking at it from others' perspective. So, I agree. You know, something our parents always told us, <laughs> we should listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, this last point that you brought up, this is something that I know you're super passionate about. You've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to make sure we hit on this uh, as we're on like the back half of the show here. You talk about solutions being kind of right size for the client, right product, right application. Uh, We had a guest on in season seven that talked a lot about this with sustainability in landscapes, you know, planting the right plant in the right place. But you're talking about this in terms of the maintenance side as well after something's installed. So can you just hit on that, you know, go to town, talk about, talk about, <laughs> I know this is the passion of yours. Talk about making sure that we're, we're doing, you know, the whole thing cohesively. Yeah. So it's funny because we do a lot of interviews with everybody at different points in the industry. Some support the industry, some are in the industry and really you know, it's disappointing when you hear how, oh, you know, this was planned for this job, but it didn't you know, fit the brief, you yeah. know, or it wouldn't have lasted either that softscaping or hardscaping. And really, I think we need to know as much as possible about what we're specifying, what we're building with, and how it pertains to the longevity of the project. Otherwise, you know, it, it can have a bad reflection on the industry. And Agreed. I think that our industry, like you said earlier, it's such a great group of people. And, you know, we have all this to contribute to the world. You know, I think it's sad sometimes when we talk about, you know, cutting our costs to, or you, or you try to meet a client's budget and you design a job that's not the right products, that, mm-hmm. but it's cheap and it fits the client's budget, mm. but it it doesn't last. And, you know, it's the race to the bottom on costs yeah. will not help your business. It will not help the industry. It doesn't help anybody. So, so really, Unfortunately, like our industry sometimes, you know, have people that aren't as well trained in it because they think, oh, I can, I can do that. And they come into the industry and then you're competing with them and you're trying to do it professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and so like we- The low barrier to entry for our industry is something that we deal with constantly. Yes, yes. And I think that what we have to fight against, if we're going to do things right, is we have to present the best products, you know, and- Again, I've had these clients too. No, you know, I need it cheaper. I need it to be under this amount. And you go, well, do you really realize how long, <laughs> you know, right. these materials these materials won't last, and it will be, you know, it will not look good after year one. Or yeah. you know, <laughs> it's a go conversation. Ahead. I feel like our part of what we need to do as business owners and and client interface is to educate them and part of that is the longevity of materials and how you build it and why it's going to be expensive it's you know and if anybody comes in with a you know quote that's half of what we're charging it can't last (laughs) should be should be a red flag absolutely so let me ask this should a company install something that they know is going to be really difficult to maintain or they know that they cannot maintain themselves should they well i guess it depends on if they have if they do maintenance you know to to add another Mm -hmm. side of your business is not something that can easily be done you know if you're only in design and build let's say so but like, but should you have should that in mind when you, maintained. yes, it should be that's, easily that's, maintained. <laughs> that's where I was going. And so like, I, I had this customer when I was in lawn care, I had this customer, I went out to his house and I'm doing an inspection on the property. I'm checking out the shrubs. I'm checking out the lawn and um, I go in the backyard and I kid you not. So this was in York, Pennsylvania. So South central Pennsylvania, you know, 35 minutes, 40 minutes from the Maryland border. Okay. Okay. Um, it definitely gets snow. It definitely gets freezing. Gets cold. This man's got banana trees lining <gasps> his pool area, <laughs> and I'm, I said to myself, "I was like, what on earth?" Okay, that's a good. Good. <laughs> Why now? Now this guy was really invested. Really wanted those banana trees. And I checked back and in the winter, he would actually go out, he'd trim them and he would wrap them in burlap. I mean, they had a, an inch of burlap on them, wrapped all the way around the trunks every every winter. But my point is, should they have been installed in the first place? I mean, maybe with that kind oh. of commitment. But if you're, but if you're the landscaper, you even if you only do design, it looks like, yeah. What, even if you only do the design, and, you as a business, yeah. That's what I'm saying. How does it reflect back on you? But how how sustainable is that? Right? Like, mm-hmm. without this this homeowner's commitment to it, those trees would have died like the first freeze, and then you'd be replacing them every year, and then you get a nasty Google review and then all landscapers are, I mean, I know that's like, like a slippery slope. I know I'm making the extreme case there, but, but, but it does, it reflects poorly on the industry when someone says, Oh, this landscaper did this thing that was, that was unsustainable or this uh, design build company did this thing. And they put in these cheap materials. I think to your point, maybe you're not adding a maintenance division, right? Form a partnership. But you know, yeah, no, You know that's not the right fit. Not correct. Not yeah, right form a partnership right with somebody yeah. who does maintenance and get their okay. input. Find a company that yes. does it in your area and, and refer stuff back and forth. Because you know what, they get requests to put in patios all the time, and, and they're not going to do it. They'll send them to yes. you. And that collaboration again is very powerful because then, let's say you you're design and build, you can, you know, educate the maintenance company on how you designed it to look. 
five, 10 years from now. So it can be maintained in a yes. way that builds that vision that you had, because of course, you know, really it's only the hardscaping that you can put in in day one and it looked like you planned. Right. The, the softscaping has to be nurtured and, you know, possibly pruned in a different way than some maintenance companies even even would do it right. normally. So you really have to, to nurture that softscape to develop the vision that you designed in the first place. So, yeah. No, I yeah. agree. I think we have to be stronger with our clients and educate them more that this is this is not um, sustainable. So that, that's a good mm -hmm. example um, that I have in that a client said, we, we designed the plants to fit the soil and the conditions. And he said, oh, I, but I don't want those plants. I want these other plants. And can't we just dig up, excavate all the soil and bring in new soil? <laughs> sure. How much time and, and money like, you got, buddy? <laughs> we, could, we could do that, but that is not sustainable. You know, yes. every yes. year you would be, you know, you know, have a lot of work, a lot of, um, and it's, it's not sustainable for the, the plants as well. So you do get these requests and, and, you know, I think the more inexperienced you are with your company or, or dealing with people, sometimes you are tempted to go, yep, we'll just excavate it all. We'll yeah. Just, or, or they'll just put those plants want. in without <laughs> even addressing the soil conditions. Right. That's yeah. not the right thing to do either. Yeah. So no. no, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> but you no, will that's... get pressured to do that, but sometimes, but you just have to stick to your guns. <laughs> it, it's about, it's about learning to do the right thing regardless yeah. right like if you know it's not the and right if you don't not know, yeah reach out to others and you know learn from others mistakes and yep. and grow from there yeah i agree i agree entirely angelique thank you so much for spending the time here today if someone's interested in subscribing to your publication learning more about it uh maybe attending your in-person event that i believe is going to be in february of uh, 2023 yes. is that right okay that's um, right saint live will be in atlanta february 6th nice. and 7th next year and we're really excited about that and our publications everything is online that you can sign up for more information at saint synkd.io everything's there get in touch please Okay. And I'll include a link to the publication website. I'll include a link to, if okay. you have a link, if there a page set up for the, we're recording this full Love disclosure, it. a couple of months, probably before this is going to go live. Um, <laughs> is there a page set up yet for the, uh, for is. the event? Okay. So yes. I'll include that. And then also, is it okay for people to try and connect with you or follow you on LinkedIn? Oh, of course. Yes. You're on LinkedIn. Okay. Rob. Yes. Okay. I'll make sure I include that. And, you know, we'll have plenty of places for you to follow the publication, maybe attend the live event and get some of that, what she's talking about, that collaboration between other industry pros. Maybe someone else has been where you're trying to take your company and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Come to an event like this and, and learn from other pros. And then obviously follow her content that she posts to LinkedIn. Angelique, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Jay. Good to see you again.